Will CISOs reporting to CIOs be a thing of the past and identity management as a way to enable your business? These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. The Chief Information Security Officer in most organizations reports to the Chief Information Officer. But just because that's the way most enterprises have traditionally approached IT and IT security governance doesn't mean that's appropriate in the era of high cybersecurity risk. Legislation before the U.S. Congress would establish a CISO position at the Department of Health and Human Services that would be on par with the CIO. ISMG's healthcare editor, Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, covered a House Committee on Energy and Commerce Subcommittee hearing on the legislation. Welcome, Marianne. Hi, Eric. What's wrong with the traditional approach? Why shouldn't the CISO report to the CIO? In the changing cybersecurity and threat landscape, the situations are becoming more dire, and some people believe that the CISO reporting to the CIO is basically sort of burying the importance that cybersecurity has at some organizations. Chairman Joseph Pitts explained why the CISO should not report to the CIO. The official in charge of building complex information technology systems is also the official in charge of ultimately declaring those systems secure. This is an obvious conflict of interest. One of the witnesses testifying at the hearing was Mac McMillan, who once served as the director of security, or CISO, at a defense department agency where the CIO was responsible for acquiring systems and the CISO was responsible for testing the security and accrediting them. McMillan said that the complementary setup of IT and security management worked well. This leveling of the playing field between the CIO and myself in a very collaborative environment because neither one of us wanted to see something held up unnecessarily and both of us had a vested interest in deploying secure systems. So early on in projects, our teams collaborated. This effectively streamlined review and testing times down the line and identified issues early so that they could be resolved before they impacted accreditation. Mm -hmm. When I had a concern, I could address it to senior staff and the director. Likewise, my counterpart, the CIO, could also make his argument when he felt security was too restrictive or impacting productivity. Leadership then had the ability to make informed decisions based on the merits of both of our arguments. Were there any naysayers at the hearing who testified favoring the CISO reporting to the CIO? Well, one of the witnesses, Mark Probst, CIO at Intermountain Healthcare, says that the culture of each institution should determine where the CISO should report. At his organization, the CISO does indeed report to him. The focus isn't on the CISO's reporting structure. Rather, what is important is that there is an appropriate focus and appropriate checks and balances on both security plan development and execution. A similar structure is employed at Penn State Hershey Medical Center, where the CISO reports to the CIO. According to the CIO, this partnership ensures tight integration and solid support for the cybersecurity program across the entire team. Where the CISO should report is highly dependent on how the various roles accountable for cybersecurity are defined by the organization. Are the days of CIOs bossing CISOs numbered? Not sure if that'll be the case at most healthcare organizations, but HHS is such a massive organization. We'll, we'll see. Thanks, Marian. Thanks, Eric. For your customers and stakeholders, you don't want to scare them away with cumbersome ways for them to identify themselves when they need to access your data and systems. Identity and access management expert Jeremy Grant looks at it this way. 
you know, one of the worst things you can do, for example, on the customer side is ask somebody to have to create a username and password in order to check out. Nobody really likes doing that. In fact, some would say it, you know, amounts to abusing your customers. Grant is the former leader of the federal government's national strategy for trusted identities in cyberspace, known as NSTIC, and now serves as managing director at the security advisor of the Chertoff Group. I caught up with Grant at the recent ISMG Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit in Washington, where he led a workshop titled Identity as the Great Enabler. Grant contends improving identity and authentication management could attract and retain customers as well as satisfy other stakeholders. One way to do that, let customers and stakeholders use identities they already have. In some cases, that might be something that's really simple, like, you know, their Google or Facebook account. And in other cases, it might be something that's much more uh, robust, say, from their bank or, you know, another high assurance service. You basically streamline their experience, you know, give them a much quicker way out the door, and they might even like it enough to come back again. Grant says many enterprises need to rethink their identity and authentication approach. You know, for years you've seen identity, you know, be looked at as something that, oh, we'll, we'll make this a function of HR, we'll make this a function of systems management, or, you know, more recently, it's pivoted to be a security priority because of so many identity-centric vectors of attack. The problem is if all you're looking at is, you know, closing a uh, security hole or showing that you've got some compliance certification, you're really missing a lot of the opportunity around how identity can be what I like to call the great enabler. More frictionless experiences, both for your employees and partners, but also for your customers. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. What role should government play to assure the IT security of businesses? A new U.S. law has the Department of Homeland Security establishing a program for businesses to voluntarily share cyber threat information with the government and vice versa. Steve Durbin is Managing Director of the Internet Security Forum, and he sees another key role governments around the globe can perform in helping secure private sector IT security. Durbin spoke about it in his keynote address at ISMG's just-completed Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit in Washington and addressed the subject in an interview with BankInfo Security Executive Editor Tracy Kitten. You mentioned that government doesn't really need to regulate more, but instead should work more closely with the private sector. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely right, Tracy. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a fan of government providing broad-based frameworks. Uh, I think we do need regulation, of course, and we will always need legislation in this area. But government, for me, needs to do a better job of working collaboratively with private sector, with business, to understand some of the implications of what they're doing. A good example would be safe harbor. Mm-hmm. That was taken away almost overnight for a lot of businesses. Whether it was or it wasn't doesn't matter. From the business perspective, it went overnight. That left a gaping hole. We shouldn't have those kinds of situations. You know, I'm very much more in favour of of an approach that um, is more akin to the one that NIST went down, for instance, when they were coming up with the cybersecurity framework. Let's have some of these broader-based discussions. Let's engage better with the people who are really out there having to deal with these issues on a daily basis. And I think using that NIST example, what we've ended up with is a very much more um, pragmatic approach to cybersecurity that, let's face it, has been adopted probably by more organizations than a lot of us would even conceive at this stage in terms of its uh, maturity. That's Internet Security Forum Steve Durbin. Finally, IT security isn't just mitigating hacks and the corrupt insider. Old systems present cybersecurity challenges too. They can break down, bringing business to a halt, and many cannot support modern IT security tools. It's a big problem in the U.S. federal government. The Government Accountability Office this week issued a report noting that three-quarters of the annual $80 billion IT spend is earmarked to support legacy systems. 
Here's GEO's Information Technology Issues Director, David Palner. We found systems that were upwards of 50 years old, portions of those systems. There was a DOD system that was still using an 8-inch floppy disk to store information on it. DOD tells us they're in the process of replacing that storage medium, but we found some other systems. You've got hardware and software that's no longer supported by vendors, so not only are they old and they're difficult and complex to maintain, but you also have security issues because you've got hardware and software that's no longer supported, and there's significant security vulnerabilities associated with these systems. It's not just the hardware that poses security challenges. You have a human capital challenge when you look at COBOL and assembly and Fortran programmers in the federal government. They're not easy to find, and a lot of these systems are running on these old archaic languages. Bottom line, Pounder says the federal government spends too much on legacy systems versus developing new and safer systems. Though GEO offers 16 recommendations to resolve this problem, Pounder isn't overly optimistic it will be resolved soon. After all, he points out, the federal government doesn't have enough plans in place to swap risky legacy systems for secure new ones. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Charbro. Catch you next time.